Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through 1 Corinthians, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here in the church. And I would like you, if you would um, join with me, we're going to be studying in the book of 1 Corinthians today. If you brought a Bible with you, maybe on your smartphone, or maybe you you went old school and you brought a paper one. <laughs> uh, and if you don't have a Bible at all, I, I would ask you to turn your attention to the seat in front of you or around you. There's a hardback black Bible underneath one of them. And you can find 1 Corinthians in that book underneath the seat close to you on page 962. That'll take you to 1 Corinthians 16. And I'm going to read through verses 5 through 24. We're making this one final push to get through the rest of this book, 1 Corinthians, so that next week we can jump into our three-week series for Christmas that we just announced called Light and Life. And so that's looking really good. So even though there are a lot of verses that we're going to work through today, I think there are three specific things that the Lord would maybe illuminate for us or want us to see out of this writing um, from Paul to the Christians in Corinth. And I think it'll be helpful to us. I will say this, after the first service this morning, um, I was highly encouraged, which is a good thing when you're doing the, the talky talk up here, right? <laughs> the things you're saying, you're hoping is at least helpful. And it, it seemed helpful to me. Now, I know I'm not the barometer of all things, whether they're good or not. But for me, I, I thought to myself, if I was listening to myself, this would be helpful to me. So I think God does want to... Um, Help us today. Is that right? So I want to read verses 5 through 24. We'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along there. These are the words of Paul writing to Christians. Here we go. Verse 5. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, and I intend to pass through Macedonia. Perhaps I even might stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. He wants to go visit them in Corinth. He says, and I do not want to see you now just in passing, rather. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me there, and there are many adversaries. Now, when Timothy comes to you, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord just as I am. Timothy is one of Paul's sort of disciples or apprentices, if you will. He says, don't let, so let no one despise Timothy. So help him on his way in peace so that he can return to me for I am expecting him along with some brothers, some other people. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come and visit with you and the other brothers, but it was not at all his will or maybe best translated, it was not at all God's will for him to come now. He said he would come when he has the opportunity. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and act like men and be strong, he says, and let all that you do be done in love. And so I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I, Paul, rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. So give recognition to such people. This is his speech at the Oscars where he's thanking all the people that has helped him along the way. And, and for all the little people in my life is what he's saying. 
In verse 19, he closes here. He says, the churches of Asia, they send you greetings, both Aquila and Priscilla together with their church and their house. They send you hearty greetings in the Lord and all the brothers send you greetings as well. So greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's just stop now and do that, shall we? <laughs> Anyways, moving on. <laughs> all right, Hans, knock it off. All right, okay. Just greet one another with a holy kiss. Somebody ever asked you, do you, do you obey all the commands in the Bible? You say no, because I do not do that one. But he says, uh, verse 21, I, Paul, I'm writing this greeting with my own hand. And if anyone has no love for the Lord, then let him be accursed. Our Lord, come, he says. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you. Be with you all. In Christ Jesus, he says, amen. Amen, just in case you don't understand or have any really understanding of church language. Amen, when people say that, it just means I agree, right? So oftentimes I find myself saying amen even in non-church settings. <laughs> like, does anybody want more potatoes? Amen, I would like more potatoes. <laughs> yes, I agree with the potatoes. So I already mentioned that I think God wants to illuminate a couple things for us. So it's always best at this point to just pause just to consider, you know, whatever thinking we have of what's going to happen in the next 25, 30 minutes, maybe we just set all of that aside and just ask God to come do what he wants to do anyways. See, he's invited here. You know, the Bible does say where two or three are gathered, he is there with us. Now, I want you to know um, he's there because the Bible says he's there and we believe him to be there. But I always find it important to also invite him to come. Like, I want him to be here, not just because he said he would be, like that estranged uncle that shows up at the holidays, right? But that we want him to come. So let's just pray and ask God to come and be with us. God, we ask you to be with us and that you be helpful to us. We have many things to be thankful for this last week. We, we've already considered those, and, and we want to carry that attitude of thankful, thankfulness into our time with you here today as well. So God, come and be with us. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit who does come to um, reveal the truth to us, to point to some things in our life that maybe you don't like and you want to deal with. And so we give you permission to poke around on the inside of us, Lord. We just thank you for everything you do and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen. In the, uh, in the early 1800s, a young a uh, boy was born in England. His name was Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor was born into a Christian family. And even before he was born, his parents had this ritual where they would pray over him before he was born. Any parents pray over your children before they're born? I, I've done that as well. And anyways, before he was born, his parents were praying for him that he would become a missionary to China, which is a weird thing to pray, I think. They just had this understanding that that young Hudson would grow to become a missionary to China. And I'll be danged if he didn't do that. At 17 years of age, he recommits his life to the Lord. And at 19, he'll get on a boat and move to China where he will become a missionary where everyone agrees that Hudson Taylor is the forefather of modern missionary work. He did missionary work into China, not the first person to have ever gone there, but he did it in such a way that it was so different from everyone else that had gone before him. 
Everyone else had sort of gotten off the boats at the port cities and stayed there and asked everyone to come and hear the good news of Jesus. But Hudson had something inside of him that made him go into inland China. He felt God wanted to bring the message, the salvation message of God saving the world through his son Jesus into the inner parts of China. But no Englishman had ever gone there before. Now, he knew he wanted to do this work, and yet, even as a young man, he knew there were some things that were missing in his life. There were some things that he needed to go do this work that he did not have yet. So from the ages of 17 to 19, he set apart to get these things in his life. One of them was faith. I mentioned he's already a Christian, so what kind of faith am I talking about? He needed a faith to believe that when he prayed to God, that God would listen to him and God would respond to his needs. He knew when he landed in China and made his way inland that he was going to have no help from anyone else. And if he found himself in desperation, if he found himself with need, he had to believe that when he prayed to God, God would answer but he didn't have that kind of faith. Hudson, when he was younger, he worked for a doctor in town. The doctor was a very busy man, as you can imagine. And he told young Hudson one time, he goes, Hudson, when payday comes around, would you just remind me to pay you? Because I'm gonna forget with all the work that I'm doing. And Hudson thought, aha, here it is. Here's my opportunity to grow in faith. So when payday came, he did not go to the doctor and say, hey, I need you to pay me. He, in fact, went into his prayer closet and began to pray that God would tell the doctor that it was payday and it was time for him to get paid. So the first week went by, and guess what? No paycheck. (laughs) And the second week goes by, no paycheck. Third week goes by, no paycheck. In fact, Hudson's landlord had come knocking on the door and said, I'm sorry, Hudson, but tomorrow you have to move out. You are so behind on your rent, you have to go. And so Hudson began to pray, Lord, I need to believe you answer me when I pray. There's no way I could do this work in China if I didn't know this. And so he began to pray again. And the familiar sound of the doctor's keys jingling started making their way up his front step. Then a knock at the door, and he opens the door, and there stands the doctor, 10.30 at night, with a smile on his face, and he says, Hudson, the strangest thing just happened. Our wealthiest patient just came and paid his bill in full, and it dawned on me, I have not paid you. So here's your pay, and I think a little extra for your troubles. You think his faith was encouraged that night? Yes, of course it was. And he needed that type of faith to do the work that God was calling him to do. He also knew when he moved inland China that he would not be eating the foods that he's familiar with in England. So he began to subside just on a a meal of rice at at every setting. So for breakfast, it's rice. For lunch, it's rice. Occasionally, a hard-boiled egg. Woohoo! Because he knew that's what the life was going to look like for him there. He even gave up his comfy bed. What? He gave up his sleep number because he knew that he was going to be sleeping on hard floors in huts deep in China. And he was preparing himself for this. Hudson also did something unique. He, where the other missionaries basically 
remained English and talked English and had interpreters explain the gospel of Jesus to the natives, Hudson learned Mandarin. And he even began to dress like most of the Mandarin men, the Chinese men at the time. And, and because of that, he was able to do missionary work in their living rooms. They invited him into their homes to hear the message of Jesus. This reminds me of Paul. Paul, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, if you might remember, he says when he's evangelizing or talking to Jewish people, then he'll act Jewish. Now, Paul was Jewish, so it wasn't really an act, but he would be Jewish for them. And he was, when he was ministering to people, he says, outside of the law, think Gentile people, then he would act like a Gentile person. And he did so that all people would be one to Christ. He wanted everyone to understand Jesus as Savior. And so there are a lot of things that Hudson Taylor has in common with Paul. Paul was also a planner, a man of preparation. As we read here in these last few verses in his letter, starting in verse 5 again, let's read this again. He says, I'm going to come visit you. I want to visit you. And I, I intend to pass through Macedonia. He has the map pulled up on his phone. He knows how he's going to get there. Verse 6, I'm going to stay with you, might even spend the winter with you. And even verse seven, he goes, I want to spend a whole lot of time with you. I don't just want to like visit for a day or so. I want to spend some time with you. And then we see not just his planning and preparation, but the second component that I think this would be the first thing that God would want us to pay attention to. He says, not only have I planned and prepared and made ready for these things to happen, but he adds this, this phrase, if the Lord permits or maybe the language is this, if the Lord wills for it to be done. Now we can read all through the New Testament where many of the Christians have already adopted this type of language into their life. They begin to live in a way that, that, that they wanted to do whatever God desired for them to do. Now, how many people would agree that you would want to do what God desires for you to do? Yes, I think most of our hands would go up. And so Paul says, in all of my plans, everything I'm wanting to do, I'm setting all of that aside and hoping that this is in fact what God wants as well. Because if God does not want this, then I'll do something else. So if the Lord wills this for me, then I will step into it. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes a letter in the Bible as well, or a book in the Bible as well. And he says this in chapter four, if you want to look this up for homework. He's talking to Christians, many of them businessmen, and he thinks many of them are becoming um, braggardly in their life. They're going to go, they're saying things like this. I'm going to go to this city. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to go make over to this city, sell a bunch of stuff, make a bunch of money. And, and James just reminds them, your life, just so you know, is but a vapor. Like it's here one minute and gone the next. You shouldn't be saying, I'm going to this town to make money. I'm going to go do this in this town. What you should be saying is, if the Lord wills me to do this, I'm going to this town and then I'm going to. Did you see the subtle differences? And I think it'd be best if you and I would just assimilate this into our own life and not by way of just adding the phrase to things we say, Right? Jeff, are you going to get the burger or the salad at lunch today? Well, if the Lord wills, <laughs> it'll be the burger. I'm just saying, right? Enough with this salad garbage. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's something more than that. It's like everything that we're desiring to do, we want to know that God is in fact calling us into that. And we set everything down subservient to the will of God for us. This speaks of God's sovereignty over everything. Hudson Taylor understood this. 
Paul, the apostle, understood this. And I think you and I know this to be true, but I think we oftentimes forget it. I think you and I, we get so caught up in making plans, and I don't even mean like bad things, good things. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just saying we get so caught up in this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. We, we forget to invite the Lord in it. We just do what we want to do and ask the Lord to bless it on the backside. Anyone? Anyone? My wife and I, when we were first married, that might not be true. We might have been still engaged at this time. I don't remember, but we were looking to buy our, our first home together, and her, her mother, my mother-in-law, is a realtor. And I remember Stacy and I, we had found a house that we wanted to buy. And we go to the realtor mom, and we're like, what should we do? And she said, pray. I just remember that. And I remember it because I was so angered at what she said. <laughs> I mean, I was a Christian, but I'm frustrated. I'm like, what do you mean? We got we to gotta write a contract. We got to get by this house while we can. I don't want someone else to take it away from us. She's like, no, no, no. What you need to do is to pray and see what God wants for you. See, here's what I know about God. God is a God who has a desire for us. And not only does he have a desire, he wants us to know it. People come to my office all the time. What do you think I should well, not all the time, that's hyperbole, but I've had many conversations with people who come, uh, Pastor Jeff, I don't know what God wants to do for, what God wants me to do in my life. Should I be a doctor? Should I be a garbage man? And, and I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't, I don't know. Why would you ask me? I'm not the Lord. I can help you and I can point you in some directions, but I'm telling you what, what you and I would do well to do is to spend is some of our energy of planning and preparation and considering, right? We should pause that and go ask God what he wants from us and wait for him to talk. He wants to respond. When you ask him the question, he'll answer you. Some people just don't have the patience to wait. I mean, if God hasn't specifically told you what he wants to do, then what I would challenge you to do is then go into his already spoken word, the scriptures, and look here. Look how he ministered through Paul's life. Look how he ministered through some of the other apostles, etc. How did they model their lives? Because they were all trying to be conformed into Jesus. Look at Jesus. How did Jesus lead his life? All of these things. And you'll find in that the will of God even for you. But it's not to say that God won't specifically ask you to do something that he's not asking someone else to do. How many people have experienced that before? I have personally experienced that. In fact, this church, I would argue, was because God is here because God desired it to be here and he asked me to participate in that. And I don't think he was asking other people to do so. This was my rodeo, so, so to speak, with him, right? And here's what I learned, that when you're stepping into God's will for you, I don't know how to say this, but it just feels right. I, I didn't say it, it always feels great. <laughs> I, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm just saying it just feels like, okay, God, I've heard from you. Now I'm doing what you're asking me to do. And we want that in our lives, right? So he says, if the Lord permits, if God wills it, then I'm coming to y'all. We're going to hang out in the wintertime. But until then, verse 8, he says, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. And this is him saying, basically, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until probably springtime or so. And then I'm going to come to you. But look what it says in here, verse 9. For a wide door in Ephesus for effective work has opened up to me. 
So Paul wants to say, stay in Ephesus because God has opened a door for him. And that's what we want in our lives, right? Where God opens a door for us. So we pray, God, what do you want? Open this door and we step into that. That's the language we use all the time. But I want you to hear this. It's not whether or not God opens doors or not, because I'm a person who believes that he does. Yes, the issue is whether or not you'll walk through or not. See, oftentimes there are doors wide open for us and we're so busy making plans to do other things, we miss it. We miss it. And then the other thing is this, is oftentimes when we ask God to open doors, we, we look down or into that room, if you will, and we expect all obstacles, difficulties, challenges, hurdles to have been laid low by the sovereign hand of God and that the walk into that room or into that place that God has called me to will be easy for me. And that is not true either. Oftentimes, God calls us to things that are fraught with difficulties and challenges. Why would God do that? Well, I mentioned Hudson Taylor earlier. He knew there, there were some things inside of him that were necessary, that were missing, that he knew were necessary to do the work in China. See, oftentimes there are things inside of us that we, we don't know that we have. And God in his graciousness, his kindness towards us, he allows situations to come up against us, even in the open door of his will for us that challenge us and cause frustration to boil up in us. And then all of a sudden we begin to realize there's something in here that I didn't know was in here. For example, some of us don't really trust Jesus as much as we say we do. And we know that when we're in a situation that's so challenging, so difficult, impossible to get out of, and instead of leaning upon Jesus, seeking him in the midst of this, we try to clamor and find and solve all the problems for us. Some of us don't believe, or we say we believe, that God is the provider of everything. There is not anything the Lord can't provide for us. And yet, we found ourselves in situations where we need something from him. And rather than wait for him and trust him, we go out and we find it for ourselves. So why would God, who's loving and good to us, lead us into these situations? Why would he allow challenges, hurdles, difficulties, mountains to be scaled, put in front of us? Because he loves us and he wants to deal with this stuff in you. Like the great craftsman who takes silver and gold and, and boils it, if you will. So all the impurities will rise to the top so he can scrape them off. And what's left is more pure than what it was when it began. That's what God has for your life. Ooh. Now we, some of you, some of us, I don't think we should go look for difficulties. <laughs> I don't think we should go look for challenges like, and then go, see, the Lord's trying to buffet me. No, you're just a moron is what that is. <laughs> like, slow your roll, son. That's all that is. No, no, no. We allow the Lord to bring some of these things to us. See, not every road that the Lord has for us is filled with green lights. He wants us to stop and slow down and to depend on him and to take the detours that he pulls us upon. Um, I shared this many times before. God, I do not think, cared much about another church in this city. I don't think that's why he asked me to plant a church. I think he asked me to plant a church just because I was chicken. Because I was afraid 
I was a man filled with anxiety and fear and trepidation. And he said, Jeff, I hate that for you. I hate that for you. And so he took my love for Jesus and the love for the church, and he says, let's go do something unique. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> I'm freaking out the whole time. And I promise you, I'm better for it, as are maybe some of you. So these doors for us oftentimes open. They oftentimes lead us into difficulties. And some of that is the Lord. And let's not overlook this. Some of it also is just the devil or Satan just rebuffing you or rebuking you, who's just saying, listen, I know the work that you're trying to do to proclaim Jesus or whatever that is, however God wants to lead you in your life, Satan, you can expect him to come and stand in opposition to you, right? Yes, we should expect that. Let's not be overly concerned when that happens. Just know this, Jesus has defeated Satan. Amen? I agree. Amen. Yes. That's this church. Welcome to church, by, by the way. So yes, we believe that. So even though he's sort of like a thorn in our side, he's not that big a thorn. He's not that big a thorn to God at all. So we need to seek God's will for us at all times. We need to ask him, what does he want? What do you say, God? What is your desire? And then when he opens doors for us, he makes opportunities for us, we walk in them. So Paul stays, verse 8, in Ephesus because there's been an open door for effective use or effectual something that's happening there. But there's another reason why Paul stays. It says this, a wide door, verse 9, is open for me for effective work, and I'm staying because there are many adversaries. Paul's B.A. I'm just saying, I'm going to throw it out there. Like... Like, what does B.A. mean? <laughs> Don't look it up. You, you'll, think, you'll think less of me if you do. Um, but just know this. Paul's not afraid of what God's calling him to. I don't know if that's just seated in him because of what God has done already in his life and the things that God has carried him through. Is that it? Or is he just, it's that probably, and then more so, like he's so jealous for Jesus to be known amongst all the people of the world that no adversary is going to stand in front of him. If you want to know what the adversaries were in Paul's life in Ephesus, just homework, read Acts chapter 19. The whole chapter is called Acts or Paul in Ephesus. The whole town is in a riot because the people who are becoming Christians are no longer buying these little trinkets, trinkets and idols to the god Artemis for the temple. And the craftsmen are losing their minds. We're losing business because Paul is making everyone Christians and Christians don't buy these little totems that we make. And they got frustrated and almost turned the city upside down. Now, Paul sees that not as an opportunity to leave town, but rather an opportunity to run in. This dude's amazing, right? There's a few people you want to meet in heaven. Jesus would be number one. Say amen. amen. And then line up the other guys. I start with David, the musician, because he's awesome. And he killed a bear with his hands. I'm just saying, Right? Like, how'd that go at Thanksgiving dinner when David shows up and all the brothers talk about their great football games back in the day? And he goes, well, one time I killed a bear with my bare hands. <laughs> so we're going to meet David, and I'm putting Paul on my list. Is that even a thing? Do you get to see people? I have no idea. Anyways. <laughs> so open doors. We go in them. There could be opposition in there. We're fine with that. Jesus is for us, not against us. Amen. And then the last thing I want to point to is what Paul says here in verse 13. Writing to the Christians. 
closing his final words to them of everything that he said up to this point. And he says, now stand here, be watchful, stand firm in the faith and be strong. Now to be watchful for sure has some church word alert, eschatological tendencies probably. Meaning this, eschatology is the study of end times. It means this, Paul is quite possibly saying to the Christians there, be watchful for Jesus' return. It's possible that he's saying that. But I think in light of everything else that he's saying to the Christians, warning them about the culture around them, that this pagan city of Corinth seems to be influencing them more than they even want to admit, I think what Paul is suggesting to them is you need to be watchful that the world around you doesn't slowly pull you away from where the Lord is. You need to be watchful that there, in fact, are not corrosive elements in your life that is stripping the, the proximity or the closeness that you have with God away from you. See, you understand there are many things in our life that will pull us away from God, yes? And hear me, and not all of those things are evil and or bad. We like to think of the, the opposition or the thing that pulls us away from God to, to start with some guy in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns and a long tail as if Satan's trying to pull you away from God, which I'm sure he's trying. But I'm telling you, the issue for you and I is that we allow good things to pull us away from God. Not evil things. I mean, it's easy to run away from the evil, scary things. I'm saying there are good things in our life that pull us away from God. And it happens this way. When we allow the good things to become ultimate or great things in our life, because you know this, there can only be one ultimate thing in your life. And it is, if it is not Jesus, it is something else. And Jesus just gets slid to the side. It's just, our plates are only so big for stuff in our life. Would you agree? I mean, think just a few days ago, Thanksgiving, when you're going with a big plate and you're trying to carry the whole thing. I mean, the same would be true for our spiritual lives. There's only so much that we can handle in our life before God eventually just gets slid off the plate altogether. Some of these good things that we make great that eventually take the place of Jesus in our life, I hesitate only because I want to be careful I don't offend anyone. Um, although I've said these things before, so you might have heard these before. But for some of us, the thing that takes the place of Jesus in our life, the good thing that becomes great in our life, is our family. I think family's great. Amen? I love my mama, my dad, my brother, and my wife, and my kids, and all of that. I love all of that. But the issue we have oftentimes is we put so much energy and attention and resources of time and money and everything else onto the family that God is left with scraps, man. He's left with nothing else. So the family becomes the idol in our life. Jesus is no longer worship. Our family is. And you've known people like this. When their kids grow and move off to college, hallelujah, <laughs> right? The, the couples separate. They get divorced. The whole family breaks down. And why is that? Because the only thing that was holding them together was the kids, <laughs> It wasn't built upon Jesus or anything else. Other people take work or hobbies to this extreme. They become the, the pinnacle, the priority in their life. 
And because of that, Jesus is pushed to the side. And Paul would just say, be careful for these things around you. In the 1950s, um, someone, I don't remember who it was, coined this term. And just so you guys know, the 1950s was 70 years ago. (laughs) Who feels old now, (laughs) right? (laughs) So 70 years ago, somebody coined this phrase, hurry sickness. And these physicians began to notice pathological issues in people's lives that things like heart disease and heart failure and diabetes and anxiety and stress and all of these things were pointed back to a person's lifestyle and busyness. They began to realize that they were, beginning, they were getting sick because of the things that they were doing in their life. Now listen, we all have things to do in our life. Would you agree? I think we look to Jesus' life and go, man, he did a lot of stuff. It's not that we don't have a lot to do. We have a lot to do. We just can't do everything. Yes? We have to choose what God wants us to do or not. Michael Zigarelli surveyed 25,000 Christians, and he was trying to find out why Christians were dealing with hurry sickness as bad as they were. And so he polled them, and he was asking them questions. Now, he doesn't fully explain why Christians are so busy or distracted. I think we would agree that we're just trying to keep up with the world around us, yes? Everyone else is running 100 miles an hour, so let's all run 100 miles an hour. But what Zigarelli found out is this. He says, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, to a culture of hurry and of overload, which leads to, to God becoming more marginalized in their lives, which means we push him to the side, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. If God's not informing us how to live, who is? It's the world around us. You know, God called us to be peculiar people. I mean, we're countercultural. Do you remember that? We're supposed to be different. I don't mean strange. Some of you people are just strange. Jesus got to fix that. I can't help you with that. But I mean different. By different, I just mean that we don't chase after the same things other people chase after. We don't let our lives be informed by other things that other than God. So he says we become more vulnerable to adopting these secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and then the cycle begins again and again and again. And Paul says, watch out. Watch out. I think next year, we'll get through Christmas I think next year we might actually do some work in this issue of busyness in our lives. And I say that because I'm a person who struggles with it. I I say that as a pastor of a church who fills my plate with so much stuff that, hear me, Jesus oftentimes gets pushed off my plate altogether. (laughs) I hate it. I don't remember who said this, but when they were asked to describe Jesus in one word, they responded with, I think this is right, slow. 
relaxed or something like that. And I went, what? Of all the words you could use to describe Jesus, relaxed is the word or slow is the word? I mean, think about that. Jesus seemed to be in no hurry anywhere he went. And he always seemed to be in the will of God, right? He was always in the will of God the Father. He always seemed to walk through the open doors that God had for him. He seemed to hit every opposition head on, wasn't afraid of anything. Man, if there's a person to model our lives after, isn't it Jesus? Today we um, remember Jesus by celebrating communion or the Lord's Supper. We're going to take communion. And if you're visiting, what that means is we're going to have some people come up here in a few moments and they're going to serve you a little cracker and some juice and a little bitty shot glass or something. I don't know what this is. I have no idea what the name of that thing is, but shot glass feels right. So that's what it is today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Welcome to church. I'm just saying. So, um, The idea is this, is the cracker represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the juice would represent his blood that was spilled for us. The Bible says that there can be no remission or removal of sins without the shedding of blood. And rather than let uh, us just continually sacrifice animals into all eternity, God sent his son Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for us, to die upon a cross to be buried in a grave, and to be raised from the dead. So Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for us, and we remember that work today by celebrating communion. So here's the deal. If you're visiting with us and you're a believer, you are welcome to take communion with us. We serve open communion is what that would mean. You don't have to be baptized here or believe, be a member of this church. You can join us. If you're not a believer, just let the plate cross your lap. Nobody cares, I promise you. Nobody cares. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to you. So it doesn't help you to eat the cracker and drink the juice or not. It doesn't matter. But while we um, are served these elements and the band comes back and we go back into a time of contemplation and singing, I want you to try to remember how God, uh, how Jesus responded um, on the eve of his arrest. So go back with me. Jesus has just been, he's already been Um, Judas has already betrayed Jesus. The authorities are on their way to arrest Jesus. The the stress of all of this is is finally hitting him. And Jesus does what Jesus does best. He, He cloisters himself away to pray. So Jesus grabs a couple disciples, good friends of his, takes them into a garden, a special place, and he begins to pray together. In the middle of all of this, he's asking God, God, is this what you want for me? Is the cross on the hill, is this the ultimate goal for me? Because if it's not, Lord, let's do something else. But if this is what you want for me, then then your will be done, is what he says. If you want me to go to a cross, then so be it, I go to a cross. As we remember communion, let's remember that God has a plan for us. In fact, I want you to say it with me. Say, Say, God has a plan for me. That sounds, we don't do that here at the church, right? That sounds weird. But it's so true. Can we say it again? Oh my gosh, this feels so weird. (laughs) Just for the record, I hate churches like this. (laughs) Like if I was visiting, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) But I need you to hear it. God has a plan for me. Say that. He does. 
There's no amount of sin, no amount of rebellion, heartbreak, or anything that could separate you from that in Christ Jesus. So as we celebrate communion today, let's remember his body was broken that you might live in abundance and freedom. That his blood was shed that you'd be uh, re- you'd have all the guilt and condemnation that's attached to you removed from you because of what Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. So I want to pray again. The band's going to return and they're going to serve you communion. Take communion. Take the elements as they pass. And then um, over the next few minutes, you can take it whenever you want. So the band will play. You can take it early. You can take it late. We don't care. And when you're done, you can stand up and worship with us. Amen? So let's pray together. God, we do thank you for our time together. We ask that you continue to show us who Jesus is, even in these last few moments, God. We ask that you bless the rest of our time, that we be, we be mindful of the words spoken today and that you would continue to press upon us even subtle changes. I know some of you right now are already sensing that God has some things in your life that he just wants you to change. And he's not coming at you heavy-handedly. He's not coming at you um, to punish you. He's already punished Jesus on the cross. But what God wants to do is just to reveal that to you, let you see it, and for you to know that that's not his desire for you. And he wants you to turn some of those things away. And I don't need to convince you of what they are because God is already doing that. And not only is he showing you what it is, but he's going to give you power through his Holy Spirit to help you. So he's not even abandoning you. How cruel would it be if he pointed out all the, weak, all the bad things in your life and then gave you no help to change? Hear me, that is not a good God, I assure you. God has come with his son Jesus to save us from our sins. And he's empowered us by presence of his Holy Spirit. And with, with the Holy Spirit, we can do much more than we think we can. Amen. So God, we ask that you just continue to be with us. We thank you. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus. And we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.